This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Tonight we'll be in Psalm 1. Again, the Lord using the new song, a special music tonight, to prepare us as we think about that He answers prayer. He's met every need. He is faithful to those who believe. Tonight we continue a series that we have been in on biblical counseling or discipleship. As we've been going through these truths, I think we've all been reminded that uh, as we prepare to be able to give answers to others and help others, uh, it only becomes helpful when we have a working knowledge of how to take the Word of God and apply it to ourselves. God has kept every promise He's ever made. He cannot fail. And what He has also promised is to be all-sufficient to us in all things. We live in a day where knowledge has exploded. But the temptation is to think because people can make microchips, they have the answer to the human condition. I like the two words, artificial intelligence. It's pretty artificial. And it's only as good as those who input in, and who's doing the inputting? Fallible man. Only God has the answer to the man, the woman, that he created in his image. And we don't have to go far in Scripture to see God's wonderful answers. In fact, if you're going to be a help to someone, I would even submit to you tonight, you just need to understand what Psalm 1 is teaching. Because the Lord does give us the key to happiness in this short psalm. What's also wonderful is many who I'm speaking to tonight, you've memorized this psalm. And so your Bibles are open. Let's read this psalm together. All right, let's stand, if you are able to, in honor of God's word. We'll read the psalm, and then we'll see how this precious passage can be a help to us. Read it with me. Let's read it in unison. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Father, now speak to us. Holy Spirit, lead us into truth. We need your illumination. But Lord, apply truth to our hearts tonight, I pray in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Please be seated. As we begin, there are two important truths that we need to realize when discussing the goal of biblical counseling or discipleship. Hope you have a pen handy. You'll have some blanks to fill in tonight. Something very simple. If the goal is wrong, the end result will be wrong. First of all, we have to identify, and we'll see it here in the text, what is the goal of biblical discipleship? Now, if you know your Bible, you know that it is to help people learn all that Christ has commanded us so they could be made into the image of Christ, to be Christ-like so that they please the Lord. But here are some statements that often come from the counseling room, okay, or, or similar statements. First, my husband is impossible to live with, so help me get my confidence so that I can divorce him. That was said in a pastor's office. Or, my wife abuses me verbally, what can I do to get her to ease up? I mean, there's got to be a Bible help for that, right? Yes, the brawling woman in Proverbs. Well, probably not the first text we'll go to. Or our son is an embarrassment. You have to help me get this kid to cooperate with us. Or I'll do anything to get rid of this fear and get my life back. Now, what, what do you think, don't answer out loud, but what do you think of those statements? Or maybe I should word it this way. What, what's the focus of those statements? All right, very, very revealing. Now, at face value, some of these sound like legitimate requests. And obviously, as we're discipling others, we do care about their needs, and, and all of these represent Real problems. But again, if the goal is wrong, the end result will be wrong. So many times the inquirer's goal is this, a problem-free life. My life would be better if there weren't problems. Well, let's stop and think about this. A biblical perspective says man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. You put a fire in your backyard and your fire pit and the sparks are going one direction. And if a child is born, eventually in that life there are going to be problems. But the inquirer often will want, you know, pastor or friend who you claim to be a Christian, uh, you say you want to help me, help get rid of my problems. Now let's continue. The pursuit of happiness is natural to every human heart. In fact, it's even in our founding documents as a nation. And rightfully so, the pursuit of happiness. But it evades the person who does not understand the connection between true happiness and, listen, peace. True happiness and peace. And there's a vital connection that we're going to see tonight. 
Charles Solomon in his book, The Handbook to Happiness. There's a lot of good help in that book. You can see it sourced there at the bottom. Uh, but here's, here's what uh, he says. All Christians enjoy peace with God, but relatively few enjoy the peace of God. The peace that is beyond description and human comprehension. Now, if you're saved tonight, you have peace with God. Whereas we were alienated from him, strangers, the cross took care of all that when you believed on Jesus Christ. You're at peace with God. But do you know the peace of God? Uh, referred to in Philippians 4, peace that even passes understanding. Do you understand the vital connection between what true happiness is and the peace of God? Look at the next statement. True happiness is derived from a secure and settled knowledge of God that rejoices in his works and constant rela constantly relies on his faithfulness. And again, we were reminded tonight, he is faithful to his promises. Faithful is he who called you who will do it. He will bring you to that desired end. So true happiness is, de is der derived from that security, that settled knowledge that then rejoices in his works. Let me give an illustration. This morning we looked in Psalm 107, the illustration of being on the open sea and those waves. Think about the fact that Paul, not once, but a couple times, found himself in a storm like this at sea and he was, the ship went down. He survived it. But the most detailed account comes at the end of the book of Acts. And you'll remember that the Lord met with Paul one night. They were on a ship. They're supposed to be going to Rome, but it looks futile. The Lord meets with him and he says to Paul, tell everybody stay on the ship. Everybody's going to survive this. If they get off, they're dead. And so Paul knowing that he should trust and can trust the word of the Lord, goes up on deck, says to all those frightened sailors and soldiers, break out the food in the galley we need to eat. And then when everybody has food, he pauses and he gives thanks to God. I wish I could have been there to see Paul's countenance compared to everyone else's. Now, I don't know that Paul would have said, that was the happiest night of my life. But would you agree with me, he was settled and he had peace. And so if the goal is wrong, the end result will be wrong. But number two, if the gleaning is wrong, the end result will be unhappiness or no peace. Think about Galatians 6, 7. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. He that soweth to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. He that soweth to the Spirit shall reap life everlasting. 
Uh, not just our eternal life someday, but the benefits of our eternal life right now. What is that? Not peace with God only, but the peace of God right now, regardless of the storm. But if you sow to the flesh, you'll reap corruption. And it's a fearful thing to not be right with God, to be watching the results of sinful choices and actions. What does mocked mean, by the way? It means God will not be outwitted. He will not be made to look ridiculous. I'll just say this. Sometimes people will come into a pastor's office or they'll come to another Christian and say, hey, can you help me with this? Can we counsel together? Can we talk? And sometimes what they want to happen is, will you help me stop the reaping? I've made these choices. I don't like the fruit. Help stop the reaping. And I've had to graciously, lovingly say, can't do that. Now, here are choices that have been made, right? Okay. God says he won't be mocked. You're going to reap. But here's good news. If you will turn back to him, agree with him, confess sin, and start making right choices, not only will there be good fruit, but God can stop the reaping. He's able to do that, but he won't be mocked. You're not going to do this your way and have it work out. We've got to come into compliance with God's way, his good way. We talked about that way even this morning. Take your Bible and go over to Isaiah's prophecy. Go to Isaiah 57. Notice what the Lord tells us in verse 21. There is no peace, saith my God, to who? The wicked. When we make sinful, wicked choices, it can't bring happiness. Now wait, there is pleasure in sin for a season, but ultimately we forfeit peace. So the disciples' goal, notice, a life directed by the word of God for the glory of God with the lasting result, and this is last, it's not the main thing, but it is, it is a blessing with the lasting result of happiness. A settled heart, peace in our hearts, where we can have that settled assurance and, and no fear, and we can even rejoice, as Paul taught the Philippians. You can be in jail, and you can rejoice, and again I say, rejoice. Now, why are we focused on happiness? Because Psalm 1-1, we read it, blessed is the man. Do you know what the Hebrew there is? Oh, how happy, or how very happy is the man who doesn't do certain things and who does certain things. Is God interested in our peace, our happiness? Yes, he is. He's called us to peace. 
We know this about ancient monarchs. We know this from the book of Nehemiah. You didn't come into the king's presence sad. One day the king looked at Nehemiah and saw that his countenance was sad. And he confronts Nehemiah, his cupbearer. Why are you sad? Nehemiah, smitten with fear. You just didn't do that in front of a king. By the way, with all that our king has provided for us, salvation, every need supplied, do you think that he's pleased when his children walk around like this? Are you saved? Yeah. Oh. You're going to heaven? Of course. No. No, we please him when we've got a countenance that says all is right because I know the king. All right. So what the blessed man does not do so that he can bring glory to God and maintain this happiness? Well, you could probably quote Psalm 1.1. It says this, again, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Letter A. He does not seek the advice of the ungodly. Now listen, either we're listening to the Spirit's voice through his word or we're listening to the voices that are in this world. It's one or the other. God says, listen to me. What is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, that's not out there. You know what that is? That's in here. In the morning when I work through the Lord's prayers, my outline, and I'll say to the Lord, Lord, don't let me be drawn into temptation today, but deliver me from evil. Again, that is uh, in the original, the evil is speaking about the evil one, Satan. But there are other evils that can draw me into temptation. And so I'll repeat this. Lord, there are three, I have three enemies. Self, Satan, and society. Or the system. Okay? Lord, keep me from that evil. Don't let it draw me into temptation. But what's out there and what's in here speaks. It likes to give advice, counsel. And it wants me to believe that it's right and that I need to rethink what God has said. And the Lord quickly reminds me, let God be true and every man a what? A liar. If there's a voice out there that disagrees with God, you better agree with God and recognize what those other voices are. They're lying. Vain imaginations, foolish reasoning. Don't follow any of that. Now, dangerous opinions are everywhere. I've given you some examples. Somebody says, well, you need to love yourself before you can love others. I've looked in my Bible, and maybe you've found it. I haven't. Have you ever found where God says you need to love yourself more? Okay, if you can find those verses, I'll take you out for a steak dinner because you win the prize. 
You're not going to find it. In fact, if you go to 1 John 2, I've already alluded to this passage, but 1 John 2, notice verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Literally, love for the Father. You can't love the Father and love those other things. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the world, or is not of the Father, but is of the world. Now watch this. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. It's temporary, but it's also deadly. What when something when someone passes away, what are we referring to? A death. All these things are passing away. Why? It's all of death. But he that doeth the will of God, what? Abideth forever. There's nothing in that text about loving yourself. Self-love, it's pretty common today. We call it narcissism. Causes less love for others. And Paul told Timothy it will help characterize these perilous times at the end. Men will be lovers of their own selves. How about this next one? You need higher self-esteem. I got this. No. No. You just need to think better of yourself. Hmm. Well, what does the scripture teach us about that? Go to Romans chapter 12. Now, let me just add, some of you may already be wondering, well, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Shouldn't we view ourselves correctly? Yeah, but we should never view ourselves proudly. And that's where this self-esteem we should have a right view of self, but not a high view of self. In me that is in my flesh there dwelleth many good things. Is that what the Bible says? Okay. No good thing. Paul, oh, wonderful man that I am. No? Oh, wretched man that I am. I'm just one of those sinners. No, I'm the chiefest of sinners. By the way, that's the only thing that Paul has said that I disagree with because I look in the mirror and I say, no, no, Paul, I got you. Chiefest right here, right here. Romans 12, 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now what is that teaching and grace going to help me understand? For this I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, watch, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. If there's anything good that happens here, it's because of grace 
me relying on the Lord and him working through me, it's not because of me. All right? How about this one? Well, you're under grace. No one has the right to tell you how to live. You know, they've written whole books on this. You're under grace. You're not under the law. Have fun. Well, they don't quite say it that way, but no, nobody, nobody can tell you what to do. Well, but God tells us what to do, right? And we're to take the word of God and help others see what God has told them to do. Go over to Titus. Let's give some perspective on this whole matter of grace. The pastoral epistles, look at Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Mary Lynn, just put it up there. I'll, I'll be able to read it faster. Thank you. All right. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all. And what does that grace do? Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. That doesn't sound like license. Well, I, I can just do... Do whatever I want. No, it sounds like grace enables me, liberates me to do what pleases God. Okay. And so the happy man, the very happy man, does not seek the advice of the ungodly or, letter B, support the actions of the unrighteous. Blessed is a man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Now here, watch this. Nor standeth in the way of sinners. Standeth means to take a stand with. Here's an example. You make up a sign for some political rally. People are doing it all the time, right? And you make up that sign and you, you staple it to a stick, piece of wood, and you put that up there and you march with the crowd. What are you doing? You're standing with them. You're supporting their beliefs, their cause. And when it comes to unrighteousness, the happy man never does that. He doesn't support the actions of the unrighteous in any way. Or, notice how Psalm 1-1 finishes, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. That word scorning means to scoff. The happy man doesn't scoff the allegiance of the unconforming. All right, so let me repeat those again. Because there's, there's also a formula that's happening here. The blessed man does not seek the advice of the ungodly, support the actions of the unrighteous, or scoff the allegiance of the unconforming. He's not, he doesn't have anything to do with that. Now what's the progression? Notice down below letter C. Who a person studies, they will eventually sin with. Again, as a person thinks in their heart, that's what they're going to do. That's what they're going to become. 
who a person studies, they'll eventually sin with, and who they sin with, they will eventually stand with. Do you want to know where I'm seeing this most visible today? What Christians are doing on social media, professing Christians. Well, I've studied this, and I think I know. They don't quote the Bible many times. This is what I think. And so I stand with this person because they think the same way, and you disagree, so here's what I think about you. Say, are Christians really doing that on social media? It's disgusting. By the way, you know what they all sound like? A bunch of unhappy people, Pastor. Huh. Psalm 1 had something to say about that. And while they're running off at the mouth, their light is diminishing. So that's what the blessed man doesn't do. Let's go on. Notice what the blessed man does do. We're back in Psalm 1 now. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. The word delight means to desire, to consider it to be very valuable. I'll confess to you, I'm thankful I don't live in Old Testament times. If I lived in Old Testament times, you know how much of the Bible I would have, especially when Psalm 1 was written? About that much. But I get to live today. You know how much of the Bible I get to have? I get all of it. But the psalmist is saying his delight is in the law of the Lord, the do's, the don'ts, as well as God expressing his love for his people, his concern uh, for them. But he delights in God's law. Adam Clark in his commentary said this, every motive in a man's heart and every moving principle in his soul are on the side of God and his truth. And what he's saying is, if he's the blessed man, this, this is what he is. Everything about his being is governed by what God has said in his law. What is the result of this delighting? Remember, the happy man is settled. His, his confidence is in what God has said. He's not going to move from that. Therefore, he or she has peace. But here are byproducts of delighting. First of all, underneath here, number one, protection. Protection. In, so, in Exodus 15, 26, what the Lord said to Israel is, if you will follow me, will diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, will do that which is right in his sight, will give ear to his commandments, keep his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon you which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. Have you ever thought about the protection? Psalm 119, 105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Have you ever been on a dark pathway? No light? Wondering what is the next step going to be? 
Uh, let, let's make this more practical. Have you ever gotten up in the middle of the night and it's pitch black and you're moving in a direction you think you know your house, but your toes are saying, please turn on a light, please turn on a light, please turn on a light. Oh! There's protection where there's light. His word is a lamp into my feet. Not only is there protection, but there is peace. Psalm 119, 165, great peace have they that love thy law. And nothing shall offend them. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Why? Because he trusteth in thee. What you have said, Lord. So he delights in God's law. Not only that, he meditates on God's law. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. You want to have peace in your heart? Keep God's word constantly before your eyes. Don't take a step. Don't do anything without considering what does God want? What does he say? Now, the Hebrew word for meditate, I love this, it means to murmur. It means to murmur, but to murmur with pleasure is becoming so engrossed in something that you lose yourself. Remember being in a library one time, and I was studying for a project, and I start hearing this noise, a chuckle. And then I look over, and this person is looking at this, and they're just, they're smiling, they're chuckling, they're going, ah. Oh. They were so immersed in whatever was in that book, they completely lost themselves. And a bunch of us college students were sitting there going, would you knock it off? It's the library, be quiet. But, but they, they were lost in what they were reading. That's the whole idea here where we are so engrossed in what God has said, what he thinks, that, that we lose ourselves uh, as we meditate on what he wants. I think it's a wonderful picture. Now, the Hebrew word means to murmur. This is speaking of a controlled, well-ordered life that is a life focused on the Bible. Focused on the Bible. So he delights in God's law. He meditates on God's law. He depends on God's law. What does verse 3 say? You're back in Psalm uh, 1. What, what does verse 3 tell us? He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. Now watch this. His leaf also shall not wither. We just went through a time when the trees changed color. It's beautiful. But what's really happening? The leaves are beginning to wither. And they're going to fall. So we can all be out there raking them up again. All right. But a leaf that doesn't wither. Think about a life. It doesn't show signs of any decay. Well, people usually seek out counsel and help because they're experiencing some of that decay. 
People who are in God's word, are meditating on it, feeding on it, directed by it. When you have the abundant life and things continue to go in a way that pleases the Lord and encourages you, you're not seeking out help because things are hard. And then the end of the verse says, and whatsoever he doeth shall, what? Shall prosper. So those who depend on God's word, this is what they get to experience. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't times when you're facing something and you don't come alongside another Christian and you pray together, you talk to them, they can direct you to the word of God. That's, that's why God gives us to each other. And, and by the way, that's not a negative thing. That does not show spiritual defeat or spiritual weakness. Look, we're all weak. We all need each other. We need each other to pray together, to take us to the word of God. Even David, a man after God's own heart, had to encourage himself in the Lord, and God gave him a companion named Jonathan. And Jonathan, again, would direct David's mind back to the assurances that God gave him about the future. But the word of God here is compared to rivers of water. And like water, what does God's word do for us? Well, quickly, it provides salvation. If you go over to John's gospel, John chapter 4, here's what the Lord said to the woman at the well, verse 10. He said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith unto thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked him, and he would have given thee living water. Provides salvation. It also provides strength. John chapter 7, verse 38. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Now these are all things that we now understand from the New Testament, but we need to be like trees right next to that water. Only we're indwelt now by the Son of God who gives us living water. Brought our salvation, produces strength, and then promises success. What a guarantee. Whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Now is the Lord just giving us flowery, hopeful language or is that what the text means? You're thinking about that. Is it true that if you follow the word of God, you can only prosper? That's what God said. Well, I don't feel like, oh, stop. I didn't ask you how you felt. By the way, as you follow the word of God, feelings are going to play a part, but that's your flesh. Let the word of God bring peace to overcome the flesh. When you read the accounts in Scripture, I don't think when Daniel made his way to that den full of lions that he was just smiling saying, this is going to be interesting. His flesh was fearful. Uh, his, his companions, when they faced the fiery furnace, 
Uh, I don't think that that was a light moment for them. They weren't joking about this. Those are fearful things, but when you are willing to depend on what God has said, he can bring peace in the midst of your storm. And he promises success. Joshua, entering the promised land. What did God say to him? Moses, my servant, is dead. Can't depend on him anymore. But if you will follow my law, you will have good success. So don't let this book of the law depart out of your mouth. Observe to do all that is written in it, therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous. Then thou shalt have good success. How about for the New Testament believer? Go over to Ephesians chapter 5. Notice verse 9. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. You're going to prove that. He's going to show you what's accept acceptable. You're going to have success. But now here's the warning. Verse 11, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Don't listen to them. Don't follow them. Don't cooperate with them. Reprove them. And so the Lord wants to give us that success. So what is the blessedness? What the blessedness is? I hope we've seen tonight, it's not the absence of storms or trials. Did God ever promise us that we would have a problem-free life? No. In fact, he warns us, yea, they that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. He has to remind us that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Because there are going to be times where things are happening with my health, and, and I, I, you know, I'm not, I just don't feel happy right now. Well, wait a minute. I can rejoice because I can have the peace of God if I will take my thoughts and focus them on what my Lord has said to me about this. Thoughts about, Lord, you allow these things because you said you're going to try my faith. It's more precious than gold that perishes. You're going to teach me through the things that I suffer. It's not the absence of storms or trials, but here it is, letter B, it is peace in the midst of these. A trouble is going to come to man, whether he's living for God or he's creating his own trouble because he's living in sin. And Psalm 1 concludes that those who choose to be ungodly, they're going to be like the wind, like the chaff that the wind just drives. Not long ago, as this generation was complaining about things, and, and somebody, and I don't even know who, who started this, started calling them snowflakes. Remember that? You hurt my feelings and I melt. I'm done. One of the things that's also true of snowflakes is you get a good wind and it blows that snow all over the place. Well, the same thing happens with chaff. 
Storms are coming. Remember what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount? If you're standing on the rock, the storms are going to come, beat against the house, the house is going to stand. But if you build on the sand, storms are coming, beat against the house, and there will be a great fall. And the Lord gave us all that teaching to warn us. God wants you to have peace in the midst of your storms. And through your life, your being anchored to the Lord, your mind being settled on his word, you can have peace and joy, happiness that draws people who are struggling to you so that you can be a help and a testimony to them. So let's review. The goal of biblical discipleship counseling is to help a person direct their life by the word of God for the glory of God with the result of lasting happiness. I've been by bedsides, Pastor Coles, you have too, where I went to encourage because somebody was at death's door and I left that there so blessed and encouraged by the grace of God in them. They were rejoicing. They were at peace. The latest example of that, I'll, I hope Gene's watching tonight. Brother Mark, you'll remember this, being at the bedside of Martha Gazera. It was unbelievable. Why? Because she was resting in him. What an opportunity we have to be a help this way to others. By the way, we talk about revival, and I just want to make this note. If you are the man or the woman of Psalm 1, you are experiencing revival. Consider this. The happy man of Psalm 1 is really a person having revival. Isaiah 44.3 says, For I, speaking of the Lord, will pour water. It's a picture of the Holy Spirit as mentioned later in the verse. Upon him that is thirsty. Okay? Revival comes when we're thirsty for the Lord and floods upon the dry ground. That strength for revival, but it's also it's the strengthening that helps produce fruit when we're not doing so. I will pour my spirit upon the seed. That's the significance of revival. Uh, what's the seed? My blessing upon thine offspring. Our world is not getting safer there's less and less peace. We're raising children to live in this world as the Lord tarries. You young people can be everything that Psalm 1 describes. But parents, the best thing we can do for our children is to allow them to see God's working, what Psalm 1 is in our lives so that we can encourage them and we can encourage others who may be new in the faith, may be struggling. This is what we can do as we come alongside others who are struggling, who have been impacted by the counsel of this age. May God help us to live this, to know it, be willing to share it with others. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ 
and make him known to others.